Thanks for that beautiful introduction. I feel like this is my family and this is um, my home place. So um, tonight we're looking at perseverance and that is in the context of hope and joy. So I've been asked to share about what I know of perseverance, what I've learned on perseverance and what I'm slowly learning on perseverance and it's really slow me. Um, when Scotty asked me to speak on this topic, uh, my heart sunk and I felt both angry and like I might laugh out loud a little bit. Um, and God and Luke both told me straight away to say yes. Um, and it took me a little longer to agree that this was a great idea. Because sometimes it's not so much about what you already know. Um, because I figured that I had quite a high level of perseverance um, but the goalposts keep shifting on me and um, so I probably have more to learn which is why I was asked to speak on perseverance and I think for me this is often what happens is that um, when you get the opportunity and the privilege to speak to others on something that's um, sort of close to your heart you end up learning so much more and you get your heart broken a little bit more and you get quite humbled on it. So I just want to read to you the passage that we'll look at tonight. And it is a longish one. It's not too long, but hang in there um, while I read it. And hopefully um, we can pull out some threads that you can weave into something to take away for your own self. So as a background, um, just to have a bit of context, 2 Corinthians 4 is part of a good long letter. It was written by Paul to the church in Corinth in Greece, um, probably around AD 55. So it says this. Therefore, since, God, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. I'm sure that was an 80s song, eh? Um, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, 
because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise up with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So before we unpack some of the text, let's look at what the word perseverance means. Um, I went on dictionary.com and... uh, (coughs) So it's a noun. Um, (laughs) Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in in achieving success. So I'll read that again. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And then after that, it also says this underneath the heading theology, which I didn't expect at all. Continuance in a state of grace to the end, leading to eternal salvation. That's a beautiful way. It's on dictionary.com. I'll just read it again. Continuance in a state of grace to the end, leading to eternal salvation. I think that's really beautiful. Um, And if I'm honest, when I think of the word perseverance, it conjures up the ideas of really hard work. Um, sweat, tears, walking up a giant annoying hilly hill, following, uh, falling over, hurting myself, getting up again, getting upset that I fell again, getting up, saying something I shouldn't, falling again, getting up. And it's a little bit like, <clears throat> for me, learning to snowboard when you think you'll ace it straight away, like I did all those years ago, and you get so bruised, you look like you've got axle grease all down your legs. Um, You get the idea, perseverance to me seems like really hard work. And I may be a slow learner, but I'm wondering if perseverance at life looks quite different if you are pressing into something else, someone else. And I'm also reminded right about now of the fact that children are very different to us, which is probably why we're often called to have a childlike faith. When my kids were learning to walk and they kept bailing over time after time, I'm pretty sure they didn't think to themselves, "Mm, maybe walking isn't for me. (laughs) Um, A precious example of this was um, when Isla took her very first step. Some of you might remember it. Um, It was a blueprint camp at Natiawa and Jeremy Woods was speaking on the journey that we have as Christians and how we fall down and we get back up again. And she was face planting, getting back up, taking a few steps, face planting. And to me, it was just such a um, precious, unintentional sermon illustration of that I'm just going to keep going till I get it. And if you struggle to let go of your pain and your frustration and your tiredness and your anger when you keep falling down in your life and hold on to them like they're somehow worth holding on to, you're not alone. You're in really good company. I'm usually caught really unsure as to why I get tied up inside this cycle. 
unless of course it's possibly my own need for control or the illusion of it anyway. Like I'm scared if I give it up, something terrible that I can't cope with might happen, and it could. And regardless, I'm still a lover of control. Because I'm human and not superhero, I will realistically only have a certain capacity and a certain amount of strength to keep persevering. And then I'll crash, and then I'll burn, which I do a lot. And um, just this week I found this beautiful piece of art which I'll put up later on the blueprint page um, by Banksy and it says, if you get tired learn to rest not to quit. If you get tired learn to rest not to quit. This leads me into the topic that I want to hone in on in this text. um, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Well, I do. I do lose heart. A lot. I feel frequently like my heart might fall apart at the seams in the face of the hard times. Or maybe explode with anger when things don't go to the plan I wanted. Except Paul doesn't just say say the heart thing once. He says it twice. This means it's really important. Repetition is not a coincidence in the Bible, it turns out. Um, It says in the Bible 365 times, fear not. He says it again in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. So it might be worth looking into why we do not lose heart and how we're supposed to not lose heart in the face of really hard times. The paragraphs in between these verses explain why Paul continues to have a cheerful heart and the argument that he's developed about it. He's being renewed because of the flame of Jesus burning inside him. Verse 18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So our experiences and circumstances of our life are so visible to us, but they are actually only temporary. And if we choose to focus on them, which I tend to do when I miss the bigger picture, it will cause me to lose heart. We need to look up, up and away from the hard times and toward Jesus. Not to ignore it, not by a long shot, and not to pretend it's not happening, but to shift our focus to the one who created us, the one who promises to carry us by his reckless grace, and the one who will be with us throughout this wildlife and through the next. To start with, when God calls us to something, I believe he supplies the strength necessary for us to persevere in the face of hard times. Because there will absolutely be hard times. And if you understand God to be anything like I do, he's quite creative. Very creative. And sometimes he will supply the strength I need in a coffee or in an unexpected gift of time. Sometimes it's a friend speaking truth to me when I can't tell it to myself and I sure as heck can't hear it. Sometimes 
it's him guiding me to do a bit of my own work to find more of him and how to grab onto his grace. And because I love stories, I'm going to use three examples. So the coffee one. On a really tough morning last week, when a friend who knows you well enough that they hear through the, no, really, I'm completely fine, I just need fresh air and I will be okay, and yet she hears, help me please, I'm sinking and I can't swim anymore, and takes your child and sends you off for a coffee date all by your own self, even when you're hopelessly embarrassed, you've not managed to hold it together. There were large amounts of grace undeserved grace in that small cup of people's coffee, all on my own, in the quiet so that I could breathe. Then there's the friend speaking truth to you when you can't tell it to yourself, and you can't hear it from yourself. You can picture me that same night of the coffee grace thing. I'm over it again, and I'm at a meeting at 8.30 at night on a school night, knowing full well I won't get much sleep and I need to work tomorrow. And why do we have to be honest with our peers about where we're at anyway? And then they put me with Justin. That's Bishop Justin. And I didn't hide my eye roll at all well. Why do I need to tell the bishop I'm fine? Like I mentioned earlier, even though the beautiful coffee of grace thing, I'd fallen back into my dark, not persevering hole. I looked at Justin and asked him, why did I have to get you? He smirked and said, maybe you needed to. (laughs) I wanted to bolt out of that room and have a tantrum or something. He graciously went first, talking about how he would love to operate more in the strength of the spirit and what that would look like. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) You've got to bear in mind why I stayed in mind. Then he dropped, you know, like how it says in 2 Corinthians 4. Um, What? Is that meant to be a joke? Have you been talking to Scotty? You know when you're angry at everything in your irrational mind somehow all your friends are now plotting against you behind your back? Gosh. Oh wait, maybe God knows exactly where I'm at and he wants me to meet him there. Oh, he was reminding me, as I mentioned before, that I'm a really slow learner. Then it was my turn to pick something that was hard for me. And I confided in Justin that I was afraid, so afraid, so nervous of God and who he is and what he might ask me to do that I can't. Jesus was meeting me in my mess and I sobbed and I sobbed and something in me broke and I knew God was there and he loved me and so did Justin despite of my mess and that is a beautiful thing. The third one is sometimes it's him guiding me to do a bit of my own work and finding more of him and how to grab onto that grace. As you can probably tell, I'm not very good at grabbing the grace. Sometimes I think he gently guides us into taking steps to slowing down, to being still, to getting to know him better, to getting to know and understand the words so we can make just a bit more sense of it. 
making sense of it in the context of our own life and our own pain. And this is a new thing for me and it feels very vulnerable and very scary. I've recently given my notice at my job as manager at the City Mission Store. It's my dream job. It's life-giving and it brings me so much joy. It is a little haven away from the busyness of parenting, but it is also the danger zone for me and that it is a place I can go and be busy enough to ignore and numb my pain. And that is not good because I can easily back myself for being good at my job because I am. And it's so easy for my identity to get entangled in what I do, not who I am. Who am I aside from being Luke's wife, Zeke Isler and Zephyr's mum, AYM house leader, manager, daughter, sister? Actually, who does God say I am? An hour after I'd resigned, my mother came into the store. I whispered into her ear that I'd resigned and after I'd reassured her that it wasn't because I was pregnant, <laughs> she looked at me and said, you are so good at this job, but it does not define you. Possibly the biggest thing that has ever come out of my mother's mouth. I grabbed her hand and I thanked her as we both had our eyes filled with tears. I knew Jesus had just spoken to me and I was very overwhelmed. It was as though Jesus was really saying, you're a mess and you're loved. <coughs> you have issues with who you think you are and you're loved. You think you're experiencing this thing right now and it's so big, but what is so much bigger is that you are loved. You think you are going through this alone, but you're wrong and you're loved. So I'm taking this next season to commit to praying, which I find hard, to reading the word and studying it and asking more questions, to be still, which I probably find the hardest of all, to wander through a garden and be silent, or to sit and just listen. Trees are good at sitting and listening. I like to think I'm a bit like a tree, not the sitting and listening bit, but maybe other bits. I do have strong branches, and my branches hold a lot and have held a lot. A tired or sick baby, my husband, a friend, one of our crew, and sometimes just the weight of all my own stuff. But I'm realising I'm <coughs> holding a lot more now and that, that in and of itself is not bad and it's not wrong <coughs> but C.S. Lewis said it's not the load, it's how you carry it and I'm thinking this next season is for me to grow deeper roots they're still kind of shallow and that means all the weight on my branches is damaging my root system it's weak because I haven't allowed my roots to go deep and this is where I need to be careful of the way I approach this learning. Because God is always right there with his grace despite my learning and trying and trying to be still. He's there in my mess and my pain and my tiredness and in my being afraid. What I need to learn most of all is to accept that grace.
to accept his love and let him carry me. To press into him and lean on him instead of letting my mind lead me to dark places. <coughs> and I think this looks like listening, like prayer. It looks like being still, looking up, and it looks a bit like learning. And I believe that the scaffolding that you build for your life is essential to survival at Meltdown O'Clock. At the beginning of last year, we moved our family from Newtown to Thorndon, which is a big change, as you can imagine. Um, it's been a big challenge with so much joy. Luke and I were a part of setting up the community of A. Wayne Houses, and it's been a steep learning curve and one we're t- continually grateful for. In our community, the scaffolding, the scaffolding for me looks like daily rhythms of prayer, even when I don't feel like it. Just being together means not being alone in your struggle. It looks like showing up, listening up, and speaking up. Shifting the focus even for a minute to God is good. My community is good. And I am sure as heck not alone. This is a step into the light and a hand up when I've fallen over again. It looks like honesty and vulnerability and asking for help. Even when the going is good. It looks like believing your whānau when they say you are great. Hearing them when, you, when they call you on your crap. And letting them hold you when you fall over again. One of my favourite authors, and um, she's a Lutheran pastor in the States, Nadia Bowles-Weber, says this. As human beings, there are many things we can create for ourselves. Entertainment, stories, pain, toothpaste maybe even positive self-talk. But it is difficult to create this thing that frees us from the bondage of self. We cannot create for ourselves God's word of grace. We must tell it to each other. It's a terribly inconvenient and oftentimes uncomfortable way for things to happen. Were we able to receive the word of God through pious private devotion, through quiet personal time with God, the Christian life would be a far less messy place. But as Paul tells us, faith comes through hearing, and hearing implies having someone right there doing the telling. It's nothing like being around other messy people to remind you of God's furious love and grace for you. Because we are outwardly wasting away. We're all getting old and tired and grey. I'm excited about going grey. But inside, we are being renewed every day. (coughs) And that light of hope inside us is there. And it is visible. Even when sometimes we don't see it. And it takes (coughs) others to point it out for us. That's so beauties. Together, we do not lose heart. Let's pray. Loving God, you're so good and so gracious. Be with us. Be close to us. May we 
remember again how gentle you are. Thank you for your promises, for being faithful, and for the road that you walk with us. Let us not lose sight of you and of each other. In your name.